Hello. Good morning. It's Denise. Good morning. From Women Beyond a Certain Age. And there is my very excited guest, Diane Jacobs, saying good morning back. I'm thrilled. I always feel like a fool, Diane. Because, you know, I mean, like, in the, we're so hooked on technology now. And now the Zoom thing tells us it's recording. You know, I always wonder how they get such small apartments that live in the computers. I just don't know how people get inside there. Anyway, good morning. I'm so excited to see you as always. People don't know Diane Jacob. Diane has been in writing. I Everybody calls her the cookbook coach and she is. And the cookbook proposal coach because she is. And Diane has had so much success helping other people and through her own book, will write for food. So, but Diane's back today and here's the reason. We have a new edition of her book. Just she's gonna talk to us about the evolution of it. And I, I really, I, I wish that people would understand something. If you're an author and then your book stays in print, two, three, four printings, and you get to update it, you're making some money, okay? This is really important to people that don't get gigantic advances that we hear about in the news. So Diane is a living legend in that. And <laughs> no, it's true, Diane. It's true, I'm not exaggerating. And Diane has a wonderful newsletters. All the information about Diane is always, Cindy will put it up for us, but her newsletter, Diane, you, I get, I don't know what, 50 newsletters. I only read yours. I mean, oh. I, I always respond because you, there's so much valuable information. Now, after that Thanks, introduction, <laughs> here's what I want to tell people. They'll go to YouTube. The Book Larder is a fabulous cookbook store. Well, it's a bookstore in Corte Madera. Isn't that right? No, that no. This, the, the Book Larder is in Seattle. Oh. oh, I beg your pardon. Book okay. Passage is in Corte Madera. Oh, I'm confused. You're close. I'm so, so close. <laughs> so book larders in Seattle. Well, on Facebook, and I'm sure on their page, they, they were advertising, Diane, you and David Leibovitz from Paris, France, having a conversation on the changes in food writing. Oh, yeah, it was so much fun. We really enjoyed that. Only imagine. I started to watch it all go back. I ran out of time. So with that said, before we talk about your latest edition, which of course reflects food writing changes, what are some of the, can you give us two or three key points that you and David talked about? You know, we talked about how to make a living as a food writer and how that's changed. You know, in the old days, you did it as a freelance writer, as a food blogger who got ads, um, as a cookbook author. But now uh, you can do it on the internet in ways that were not possible before. Like I told him that I got a call from an influencer who has 220,000 followers on Instagram. And she, she makes a six-figure living just doing sponsored Instagram posts. Um, and then she got a six-figure book deal ba um, based on her readership. That's amazing. Yeah, I thought so. And impressive. And I'll tell you why I think it's impressive. I've seen people's readerships and just their Instagram numbers 
grow and when they are legitimate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because a lot of them aren't. I mean, I've had people call me to offer for me to to buy Instagram followers. Oh, yes. Thanks. I'll pass. But if people have got that many Instagram followers, they are working it. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, my. Very hard. Hard. They're They're posting hours a day. It's, I it's, think she said she only posts three times a week, but her content really resonates with people and she's done really well. She's a young woman. So, you know, more power to her. Absolutely. What's another way? Was there another way that you and David discussed? Oh, subscription newsletters, I bet. Yep. Yep. Subscription newsletters are the new big thing, but uh, here's the problem. You know, like David has, I don't know, 40,000 newsletter subscribers already. So he moved them to Substack. And then, you know, a certain percentage of those are willing to pay for a subscription newsletter. And, and so, but he, he already has um, the following. I mean, if you, if you have almost no following, you, you have to grow your subscription list from nothing. And it, it will probably take a long time. I would pay for David's newsletter. I get David's newsletter, but if he asked me to, if he asked me for whatever, I don't know what the going rate is, five or ten dollars a month, I would pay for his. Oh and, yeah, you know what I mean. It's an excellent. Mm-hmm. Newsletter. It so is. I, it's, it's an excellent newsletter, and he's been doing it forever, hasn't forever. he? Forever. I mean, talk. You about- know, when we started was um, when David and I met was in two thousand and seven. He told me that he had found my book and he wanted to interview me for his blog. Um, I think that's how we met. Amazing. (laughs) I don't think it was, I don't even know if it was called a blog then. Maybe it was just his website or something. Yes. Well, there have been many, many changes. That, you know what, I will say this. We have several friends that have come to our food styling workshops that have become influencers, Diane. Some of them, just what you're talking about. Amazing how um, successful they are and wonderful. And some of them are a total mystery me me to me, which is just, just shows you that all the different sort of people that are out there. Do you know exactly. Yeah, but food styling is critical now because, you know, if you're going to be an Instagram star, your food has to look beautiful. Yeah. So it's, it's not optional to understand that, understand the camera, understand food styling. It's, you know, foods and it's made huge changes to food styling, too. It's yeah. made huge changes to food styling. Some of them good, just like everything else. Some of them not so good. Sure. So, you know, what's what's been not so good? I see a lot of food styling that doesn't make sense. Okay, now people <laughs> used to criticize us because they'd say, oh, that's so perfect. No one's food looks like that. But when I see a charcuterie board, and first of all, it's not even a charcuterie board, it's a cheese platter, because charcuterie means it has meat on it. Okay, so it's kind of like when someone says to me, this is my vegan charcuterie. Well, that makes me crazy. Okay. Well, there are candy charcuterie boards. (laughs) So let's stretch this. I'm blowing your mind, Denise. Is it pork flavored jellies? Because at least. No, no, no. We have to remove the word charcuterie. That's all. They're just boards. 
They're just boards that people make boards. of pretty things. That's right. But one yeah. of these, some of the charcuterie boards that are jam-packed, and I mean jam-packed, but they've got roses and everything. Some of it's pretty and some of it just makes me crazy because if you want to take one piece out of that, the whole thing would collapse like dominoes. And it yes. would be so uncomfortable for your guests to eat. Do you know what I mean? Yes. But, but they're they're hot. You know, someone told me recently that she got a call from a publisher, a big publisher, who wanted her to do a, char- a board's Yes. cookbook if that's even a thing i don't know what you're cooking well, i've seen one, um, or two, one or two are already out and that's he was gonna good. she was uh they were gonna pay seventy thousand dollars for her to photograph it and write it and do it in six months and she said no okay well you know what if you know if you have a team behind you if you knew what you were doing you could make that work okay. yeah yeah, if she you, could. She just didn't want to. She didn't want to. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, here's the, the tricky part of when we hear about it and it's everywhere. Here's the tricky part about doing the photography. If you're good at it and you have lighting skills, that's wonderful. Okay. Now, there's just, there's degrees of it because I put up pictures of my bowl of oatmeal from my kitchen counter in <laughs> light with my iPhone. But of course I do make it look nice. I mean, I wipe the plate, sure. you know what I mean? And I put some brown sugar, I mean, and people say, oh, you're such a great photographer. <laughs> yeah. Okay, it happens all the time. Cindy and I, sometimes this is, and these are were big cookbooks. Every test that we ever took, every food test we've ever done, we take a picture of it, Diane, that's how we got paid. We could send the picture with, on the recipe card to the client. Everything, sure. everything was honest. Now, sometimes talent would look at our, what we called the recipe book, and they'd say, we like these photographs better than the one that, of course, a major photographer that was getting $6,000 a day, he didn't really like them comparing our iPhone <laughs> photographs with his. So one of the, pro- one of the things is, if you have a, publisher or whoever's in charge of your book i'm just if they're young and they don't know any better for god's sakes take the money and be the photographer because you can turn in just about anything okay I, <laughs> that's kind of sad, it's so sad. <laughs> I, I just get here's been my thing and then i want to talk about your book i had a better homes and garden subscription for i don't know how many years and the reason why is this one of the first magazines that i ever learned to cook from and what like Nancy Hopkins wall was still there. It was a great one. There was always something about gardens. It was cute. It was like sunset, but a little fancy. It was homier, homier than sunset. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, well, it went under. So now whoever owns it now, is it Conti Nass? I don't know who owns it. I'm sorry. I'm just whoever owns the big conglomerate, Meredith, the big conglomerate sends me another magazine every month to replace it. Sure. Well, Petite has gotten a little better with a lovely new editor, but there was that lost year. I call it the last year of Bon Appetit. The fucking ugly magazine ever was <laughs> terrible writing. Oh, uh, Cindy's going to bleep that out. All right. Bleep, bleep, bleep. The covers <laughs> were frightening. 
I mean, just in design. They were like to cartoons. Now, every time I got one, I would send it to Barbara Fairchild, the previous editor of five years. And she would just never say anything inappropriate because that's Barbara. But I knew she was gritting her teeth. So I finally had to call a corporate office and I said, stop sending me. They said, why don't you want the magazines? We're trying to make it up to you with your subscription hand right now. I said, I don't want these ugly magazines in my house one more time. It really hurts my feelings. Okay. So that's the only reason I say, I think the degrees of photography and styling on Instagram just because someone likes them doesn't mean you're doing it well. That's, uh, and I'm just saying, I see photography every day and I think, well, shit, Cindy and I can shoot that, okay? But it doesn't mean that we're good at it. That's all. Okay, <laughs> okay then point that. taken. You had to take, you had to, Diane took me down that tangent. It wasn't me. I did. She took me right down there, Cindy, right down the dark hole. No, lady. <laughs> You gave us some tips and I suggest everyone go to Book Larder's YouTube channel and spend some time watching the interview with Diane and David because it was really exceptional. Thank you. No, we no. 316 people from around the world. It was amazing. Fantastic. Also, just both of you, you know, it, again, uh, credentialed and people with great experience, I think, make the best teachers. Just call me silly. Now, here's what I want to know. Tell everybody on Will Write for Food, I need to say this. I've owned every, I think, is this your fourth or fifth edition, Diane? Fourth. Fourth. Yeah. I've owned them all. I bought the very first one. And Diane, that's how I got to know you because I called you after the book came out. And I wanted to do and we eventually did, I wanted to do a class where you told people how to write a good proposal or how to get a cookbook published. And then you and I did that a couple of times. Yes, we did. It was really fun. And they were fun and successful. Yeah. So I always have had a copy of your book. Then when we got people that would come to us that were willing to write checks to write cookbooks, meaning that most of them were vanity cookbooks, but there's nothing wrong with that. Do you know what I mean? No, no hire people that know what they're doing so I would give them my copy of your book and then I would swear to Cindy that she had stolen mine or what someone had stolen it where was it and she'd say yeah you the wine and you gave it to your client I hate that when she tells me the truth but that is the truth so Diane well thank you the, oh please really Diane tell us the evolution of will write for food because I okay. don't ever uh, when you've been with us well, I started, uh, I wrote the first edition in, in the first edition came out in 2005. And I didn't write anything about blogging. Blogging had just started, there were a few people doing it. And I was a, you know, I was a snobby print person, because I'd been a newspaper reporter and editor and a magazine editor and a book uh, co company editor in chief. And I, it was all about print for me and print was superior in my mind. And so these people were, um, you know, really there was a hierarchy in those days well, and, and the people who were online was like, Oh, this is a vanity project. You know, they can write about anything they want. There's no gatekeepers. I don't know if this is going to last. So I just ignored it. Well, then blogging exploded. Then when I wrote 
the 2010 issue, I had to uh, write a 7,000 uh, chapter, uh, 7,000 word chapter on blogging mm -hmm. because blogging was huge. Um, and But now it's not even blogging anymore. In 2015, um, blogging changed where we don't really, we really even shouldn't really call these people bloggers because they sort of have media companies. You know, they, yeah. someone might, someone might help them develop a recipe. Someone might help them photograph a recipe. Someone might help them upload a recipe. Um, someone manages their social media. I mean, they have a company. Well, and um, and they put recipes on their website, but it's it's not really a blog in the anymore in the traditional sense. It's it's more like a big media company. And aren't they buying a, some of that from content creators? So it's another word that has shown up that we never. I mean, Cindy and I uh, styled and wrote recipes and books for years. No one called us a content creator. Do you know what correct. I mean? Yes, correct. Yeah, but but. I think uh, I think a lot of them really don't want to admit that someone is helping them write the recipes because it's probably their favorite part um, that where they started this company because they love to cook and they love to share and have people over and make great meals and um, and you know a lot of these people are not they didn't go to culinary school or anything like that they're self taught and they're they're business people and so they have a business that's online and um, some of them have enormous um, media companies um, where they make um, you know mid six figure incomes mostly from ads that are on their site but also from writing, you know, sponsored posts for companies on, on Instagram or on their blog. Uh, it's just amazing because this, it just didn't really exist. So I expanded on that in the fourth edition. And I, I wrote a whole new chapter about voice in the fourth edition, because, you know, there's so much competition now. Um, everyone, I mean, that's what you do, you get on social media, and you you scream, look at me, look at my stuff, read my stuff, go to my website. And, and you have to know how to do that in a way that engages people, where people can recognize your voice. And some, that's something I've admired about David Leibovitz forever, is that he has a recognizable voice. And you, you know what kind of subjects he's going to write about. And he might complain about his broken faucet, or, you know, the French bureaucracy, or how he had to have exact change when he went to the market. And so it's always um, anchored in a place, um, his writing, and you're not going to confuse him with um, Sally's baking addiction, because she has a different voice. So it's, it's important to understand, um, you know, your, your voice, there's your voice as a teacher, your authoritative, and friendly and encouraging voice as a teacher, and then layered on top of that is your personality voice, you're, you might be goofy, you might be sarcastic, you might be self-deprecating. Um, and then there are other things to add into that, like, you know, is it important to you to always talk about where you're writing from? And is, is where you live a character in your recipes, or does it not make any difference? So 
it's important to figure all those things out so that you can stand out in a crowd. So there's a whole new chapter about that. Really? There's, there's more about self-publishing because there, there are more ways than ever now to self-publish your own book. And there are all different kinds of publishers who will help you at different levels um, as long as you pay them. Um, so you have to, you have to have a budget for that. Um, and there's more on, you know, building a social media following, um, how to be a good photographer. There's some content on food styling. I reference your book, of course, Denise. And then the thing that changed the most in the, in the fourth edition is, um, I got a little more woke if I can use that expression. Um, you know, when I wrote the first edition, it was totally, Eurocentric and white. Um, I quoted, you know, MFK Fisher and Elizabeth David and Julia Child and Richard Olney. And, you know, that's just not going to fly anymore. We, we've moved on. We, even though publishing is still, what, 85% white, um, we do understand now that there is other than Eurocentric food in the world, and it's just as delicious and wonderful, and that people can be very, very successful now. Um, I don't know if you know the website, Just One Cookbook, uh, Japanese-American uh, blogger and her husband, who I think is either Chinese or Korean, I can't remember. They have an enormous website with no, and they have had no impediments to grow their business um, because of white gatekeepers that exist in publishing. Wonderful. So, so I've got a lot about how publishing needs to change, how it is changing. I've got a lot of new voices, different kinds of people who've been very successful uh, that we can all learn from. And it's just been a pleasure to move out of that realm, which, you know, as you know, Denise, I have a really crazy background. My parents were Iraqi Jews from China. So the whole European thing for me never made any sense. Um, I didn't understand it. Uh, but but I accepted in the beginning that that was that we had to, you know, revere anything European um, and European people and that our food had to be you know, French restaurants and continental restaurants, if you remember them. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, in the beginning, I did that because I thought I had to, but I, you really don't have to do that anymore. I mean, you know, the San Francisco Chronicle just put out its top 25 restaurants, and there's a bakery in Chinatown on that list. I mean, that just would never have happened before. I mean, there's a line outside that bakery every day, but it's never gotten any recognition. You know what? It's kind of amazing to me. And I agree with you about, talk about a bubble, about getting woke. And I never thought I wasn't woke. Do you see what I mean? <laughs> it never dawned on me. I mean, I knew it in publishing. I saw things because you never saw anybody's else's face on a cover of a book except for white women do you know what i mean i mean well pretty much pretty much i mean there was martin yan there was um again men uh martin. julie sani uh the indian yes teacher uh, modern joffrey i mean there were some exceptions but you know they they had to push really really hard to become yeah. the exceptions and 
you know, our business needs to get easier to succeed. If yes, if not that I, kind of person with that kind of food. Having come as an example, Diane, from always working in television and working at PBS, for PBS, working at KQED, working at the PBS here in LA. The, you know, you have to remember when you just mentioned them, there was one Chinese cooking show. It was Martin Yan. There yep. One, you know, uh, French chef. There was, it was, well, there was Julia Child and then they made room for Jacques because he was a man. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, there were very, but if yeah. you, in any of the meetings with this pe with this pe with these people, they one was plenty to them. Do you know what I mean? They had one placeholder of someone that was a non-white, and that was fine for them, okay? Or someone that was different. So, and it's taken forever to it's forever. taken forever. I certainly I can't believe it. Um, but anyway, it's an ex I think it's a very exciting time. I love that you added a chapter on voice. Um, really good, you know, and it's an interesting, this is something, Diane, and when, with all talk about food writing, do you think food writing, we're having different views, do you think it's better than it used to be? Oh, sure, I do, okay. because, okay. you know, when a lot of food writing, you know, when I first got into it, which is a very long time ago, food writing was about going to fancy restaurants. Yes. And I mean, everyone thought that I was a restaurant reviewer. I mean, I actually was, that's how I, I mean, I started out as the editor of a restaurant magazine. Um, and then I wrote restaurant reviews on the side while I was, you know, magazine editor. But that's what everyone thought that food writers did. They went to fancy restaurants and they wrote that were always European, pretty much, and or, or American European or CalMed or whatever it is. And, you know, you wrote about how, well, if you want to take your mother here for her birthday, is this going to be worth the money? Yes. And, and you know, the, and there were, you know, snobby menus with things in French that people didn't understand and or Italian later. Um, and... It was pretty much limited to that in the beginning. And so now food writing has taken on so many forms. There's political food writing, there's historical food writing, there's, you know, nerding out about candy or fried chicken. Um, there's reviews of uh, food trucks and stalls and that that make it onto the top um, lists and cities of best places to eat. I mean, it's very exciting. There's, there's writing about restaurants and what the restaurants people, what the employees and the staff went through during the pandemic. There's food and farming, um, like Civil Eats is a fantastic website, very political. So yeah, I mean, you can get into it in a million different ways. I think I totally agree. I think it's so much more interesting than it ever used to be because I, most of the time, the, the reason when Savura first came out, I liked it was that because they were actually talking about food in a different country. Yes. Know? Yeah. And there was a lot of travel writing. Yes. And that they just took a picture of the dead fish on the counter. And I loved it because I thought that even though they did have somebody still style a little bit, it they picked out the prettiest fish. It, it was so much more interesting than most of the food magazines. I mean, I stopped 
getting food magazines almost like five or 10 years ago. Oh, me too. Me too. They didn't do anything. They were just so bored. They were so bored. Yeah. Well, they're not, you know, they're really not targeted at us, you know. Everything you said, I agree with. Now, what about actual writing? I'd like you to disagree with me on something. No, I can't at the moment. But here's (laughs) what I have to say. What about people writing isn't very good? Now, they may have a good voice, but their writing's not there. I mean, their I shouldn't say it that way. Maybe that's not possible. I read really bad writing a lot now. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Just and I'm reading it and I think, is this really good writing? Do you know what I'm saying? And I well, read- if you're asking that, I think you know the answer. <laughs> I know. And yet, so at what point do you see what I'm saying? How does that affect your job? My job? Well, my job is to educate people on good writing. I mean, I do that in my blog. I do that in my newsletter. I've written, you know, 120,000 words that, that, I mean, not every, it doesn't all cover good writing, but yeah, I'm never tired of that topic. And it, I mean, as a writer, it interests me. I'm always, it's kind of like meditation. Like you never get to nirvana, right? But it's about, it's about the journey of trying to improve every day, inch by inch, trying to get a little bit better. Okay. That's a great way to say it. That, now I'm not sure about Nirvana. I have reached Nirvana. Not you through, have. Oh yes, many times, <laughs> many times. But you know, yeah. Wait, do you want to share any circumstances? Oh, <laughs> I think that eating a chocolate eclair with the most gorgeous man in the world when I was young and I was naked. Uh, yeah, okay, that, that sounds uh, good. That was pretty fast. I had a feeling sex was involved. Denise. Of course. Well, how else do we require <laughs> meditation? And I, I think that there have been times. I think that there, you know, I agree with you. If you're being serious, I think you, I think that writing, which is the biggest part of, which is why I've loved your book and which is why it can be helpful to anyone. Do you know what I mean? Really an experienced writer would garner some tips from it, but it's such a roadmap for people is writing is a constant process. Absolutely. If you don't know that as a writer, it's the hardest part. I get a piece, uh, when I've written pieces and people said, oh, that's really good. When you've said it's really good, I can go back two years later and tinker with that thing and change it by 25%. Do you know what sure. I mean? So yeah. it's n- it's such a living, breathing thing that it's constant. And that's why I think to, um, and improving what you were just talking about is making improvements, which is pretty yep that's what editing is all about self-editing understanding what to change um understanding whether you're captivating someone with your opening sentence um yes how to write a good title um i I mean even how to write good subheads because when you're writing online you can't just have you know 12 paragraphs of text you have to break it up you have to understand what people like what encourages them to keep writing, to keep reading, to get to the bottom. Now, and here's something I just want to, because you and I have talked about this and not everyone that's listening to this podcast will understand search engines. Now here was, an Oh example. yes. Okay. But it, when you talk about titles in the New York times, there was a big cookbook author whose headline was 
mean, and if I screw it up, it doesn't matter. But it was basically saying nice skills don't mean shit. Okay, that's Mm. what the title was. And he went on to say that he doesn't have very good knife skills, which I could have known. I knew that. But obviously, because because it was obviously about a search engine. He wanted it was clickbait. He wanted people to to click on that article. Do you see sure. to read it? It's yeah. not that it was brilliant or and I don't even think it's true, you know, to me. Okay, so he was trying to be controversial just to get people to read the article. Is yes. that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's like people who say best chocolate chip cookie ever. I mean, is anyone going to believe you? I mean, you think that, but that's just for clickbait, that yes. kind of title. But yeah, search engine op- optimization is a critical topic for anyone who writes recipes online because they have to understand how to get in the f- first or second or third page of search results so that people can find your recipe if they're looking for what to do with you know their leftover zucchini at dinner time. You know, it's got to come up in the search. It's got to come up in the search results. It's not exactly a science. A lot of it is unknown because Google controls most of this and they have their algorithms and people don't necessarily know what their algorithms are. And and a lot of big bloggers are uh, pray to the Google gods all the time because, I know. I you know, know, their business is based on whether they can rank in the search results because no one's no one's going to look through 10 pages of search results anymore. I, I mean, if you can't if you can't get your article or post or whatever it is into the first two, maybe two or three pages, you can forget it. I know. So, I, yes, I have written about that, too. I know and it's very hard for people. Now, how, Diane, can people get your newsletter if they're listening and they have never gotten your newsletter? How do they get it? Oh, thank you. Well, they just go to my website, www.dianej.com, D-I-A-N-N-E-J.com. And then you will see a tab that says newsletter and sign up. It's free, comes out twice a month. And there's a lot of links to interesting articles about food writing or food writing trends or what people are doing in food writing. And there's, uh, I don't know, how-to articles on how to get more Instagram readers or better photography. There's all kinds of stuff in there that I I find it, it's whatever I think would be interesting and useful, basically, that I'm passing on. It's a wonderful newsletter. I read it every time you send it to me. Thank you. And, and um, I look forward to your new book. When this, after your broadcast, we are going to have a drawing and give away a copy of your new book. So some lucky listener will get that book. One of the things, Diane, that I think that's amazing is with the changes in publishing and one of my best friend's mother just died. Okay, she was 97, 96. Wow. Okay. But this is what's the story that was fabulous. Her son, in the last few months of her life, went to her bedside and took dictation for the recipes. Oh. And as and said last Christmas, put it all together in a little cookbook that he did on his computer. Okay. And this kid's an attorney. He's, I mean, he's 
a city planner. He's like genius kid. This is not his career. But because his grandmother, Joycey, was such a good cookie, wanted those recipes. I love it. I love it so much. But that's why when you, in your newsletter and what you were talking about, if people really, I think most people have a book in them. And I think it's an interesting story. I don't care if it, whatever it's about. Do you know what I mean? It's, there's something probably fascinating in your life. that And, and if you can self-publish it, it doesn't mean you're going to get... A, then you're not going to get a big advance, but you never know when you throw that stone in the water, how many rings are going to happen. You might really um, touch people with a self-published cookbook or a self-published book about your life. And that's why I think that's what's exciting in publishing is people can do it themselves today. Absolutely. Yeah. Well said. You know, okay. Now you were talking about the drawing. Oh yes. Tangent. Tangent. Oh, look, there's a bunny. <laughs> I think that's a bunny. Oh, look at that shiny object. What I'm talking about is we will have a video of picking names out of a hat. The last one we had like 200 people. Oh, my gosh. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Um, and so somebody, and then I send it out to them. So somebody will get a copy of your book, some lucky listener. <laughs> I know. It's an amazing thing. Like you were saying, 316 people worldwide. I mean, that's enormous. Sometimes we get messages now, Diane, from people. I don't know them. They say they listen. And we get them from men now, which I think is just fascinating. Okay. I know. Terrific. We never know. Who, we never know who's listening. Diane, thank you so much for your time. I know how busy you are. And I'm thrilled for you with your fourth edition of your book. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you, Miss Cindy. And if anyone wants to reach Diane, you can always go to our website. You can go to our Facebook page. Actually gets the most action. Thank you, Diane. Thank you, Miss. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.